Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Have you ever sat there at your computer wanting to prospect or wanting to call a customer and you sit there going, I don't exactly know what to say or that reluctance build or that fear kind of dwells and then starts to bubble inside that prevents you from taking action or you want to email someone and you sit there kind of looking at the email, taking a word out here, trying to perfect it and it just slows you from taking action and then you procrastinate. You put it away and you might come back to it later. It happens to the best of us. What I love about this episode is that we're talking to a sales professional, an account executive turned founder. A few years ago, four or five years ago, Chris, who is the founder of Sendoso, decided, I want to move from selling and I want to build my own company. And he's created something so unique that sellers, thousands of sellers, globally are now using every day to enhance the sales process by sending things as part of the sales process. The tool now integrates with Salesforce. They've just raised over $100 million and he's done that within five years. He's a seller that decided to take action and that is what I love about this week's episode. It's not the fact that he's now being able to raise so much money and his company employs hundreds and they're opening up in different markets all over the world. That's just a result of him deciding to take action or him and his co-founder deciding to take action. And again, that is what I love about this week's episode. And there's so much learning for sellers, for anyone that's looking to improve the sales process, for any marketer that's trying to do a new campaign is sometimes you've just got to take action. Regardless of how perfect your platform, how perfect your campaign, how perfect your email, how perfect your sales process might be, you just got to take action. And that is exactly what Chris has done. Revenue operations is much more than words in a job title. It's a movement that is transforming sales, marketing, and customer success teams into high-performing revenue drivers. RingDNA is a recognized Gartner cool vendor that makes RevOps possible by driving improved operational efficiency and revenue capture from sales, marketing, and customer success. Trusted by the top companies across the globe, RingDNA offers a complete sales engagement, conversational intelligence, and revenue intelligence platform for Salesforce customers. Learn how we can transform your results at ringdna.com. That's ringdna.com. This is an awesome episode for us all to take such incredible learning from and also be inspired that you don't need to be a tech professional to start a tech company. That's another thing that I took away from this great episode. But the most important thing that I've taken away is the fact that If you've got a goal, if you've got a dream, and you decide to take action, you can turn that dream into reality. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome, man. I'm really excited, especially after hearing you on uh, Roslyn's The Revenue Engine podcast uh, talk about all things growth and and how your business has really propelled and excelled over these last 12 months. So yeah, really excited to have you on the show. 
Yeah, thank you. Mate, before we get into all things growth, um, you know, sales, marketing, we'd love to learn a bit more about you and, and how you started in the world of selling. Yeah, so I'll take you back. And I started Sendoso about five years ago. For those of you who don't know what Sendoso is, we're a sending platform that makes it easy for other companies to send out direct mail, promotional products, custom gifts, kind of you name it, we can send it out. It's a mix of software, and then we have warehouses around the world that fulfill things. And so I uh, started that company about five years ago. Prior to that, spent about 10 years in software sales in San Francisco. So I, I found myself mostly in account executive roles at fast-growing startups. And uh, that's really how I got my uh, kind of my, my feet wet in sales. Oh, fantastic. And I'd love to know, like, you know, with the world that's gone essentially completely digital over the past few years. Yeah. What, what inspired you and motivated you to start a business that was kind of going against the, the wave, so to speak, to more yeah. traditional type of marketing material? Yeah, it's kind of like the opposite. It's almost like yeah. uh, there's a phrase like what's old is new again. And I, I kind of uh, found myself seeing that I was, you know, getting digitally overloaded myself. I was sending out a gazillion emails and I – thought when I was in sales, hey, how do I be creative? Um, how do I use creativity as kind of a secret weapon? Because, you know, automation was my previous secret weapon. I was really good at mass emailing people before like outreach and sales loft and those tools came along. And once those tools came along, my automation secret weapon was kind of gone. And so I was, you know, looking for new secret weapons. And I thought, hey, creativity is one of those secret weapons. And so I found myself you know, writing handwritten notes, I'd go, you know, research someone's background, uh, maybe they're, what they're tweeting about, mm. um, or their, their university, and I'd find something on Amazon to send them, or I'd go into our swag closet and grab swag and pack boxes. And I found myself doing that like day in and day out, working really well, getting results, but kind of tired of spending hours in the manual process of doing that. And I kind of just dreamed up an idea, like, why can't I just click a button inside of Salesforce and send something to somebody? That's pretty cool. And is that how yeah. sort of Sendoso was born? Was it just that? It was. You, yeah, fantastic. It was as easy as that. I mean, there was some things along the way where, you know, I, I attempted to try to convince the marketing team at the time uh, where I was at to manually, you know, do this through spreadsheets and that didn't work. Um, I also found myself uh, as a version one actually building out this tool called Coffee Sender. And it was a way to send Starbucks gift cards through Salesforce and so that was a little bit easier of kind of version one before opening up like these huge yeah. fulfillment centers and shipping out all these physical products. That's a really interesting story. Uh, when did you realize that you had come up with an idea that wasn't just unique, but was something that could scale and could really enable organizations to create better level of customer engagement? Yeah, so I think there's a couple different phases going. I think it commonly really referred to as like product market fit. And I think mm -hmm. that is something that I feel like I had day zero because I knew that I wanted to use this product. Um, and so I think I had product market fit even before we launched. I just knew it was going to work. And after our first couple customers, uh, first, you know, 10, 20 customers that myself and my co-founder were able to sign up, it was very apparent that there was product market fit. I think from there you go to, what I would call a like go-to-market fit. And like, can you build a go-to-market engine that can actually start to sell this and, you know, at unit economic costs where your, your CAC and your LTV and everything kind of aligns so that you can continually add salespeople in a, in a more 
functional kind of B2B motion. And so that took probably about, a, a, I'd say maybe six to nine months after that to where, Lee, where we hired a couple AEs, we, we hired a couple SDRs, and we started to see their, their monthly and quarterly output. And once that machine started to get going, then we really knew we had something there that we could pour more fuel on the fire. Yeah, awesome. That's actually a really cool story. And I'd love to know, like, at some point, um, you know, you had you knew you had product market fit, but the minute you started going to talk to companies about, you know, the solution, um, what was some of the resistance that you received early on? And then how did you adjust your messaging to then get them to really understand the true value proposition that you you are offering? Yeah, so I think um, for uh, the, the, there's a handful of kind of different use cases in, or in terms of like why people are, were excited about Sendoso. There was some customers that were doing this already manually. And so that was like a, mm. you know, a home run. So, so easy. If you're already packing boxes, kind of the same problem I had. Like, mm. why wouldn't you invest in some software to do it like 10 times easier and better for you? So those were kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. People had a big problem. We were the solution. There was no other solutions out there. We'll solve it for them. Here's some software. Boom. I think the other scenario that was a little bit harder was when people weren't doing this um, yet. You, you had to semi-convince them that, hey, you know, you're sending a gazillion emails. Why don't you try something else in your outreach to get in front of prospects or to engage with customers? And so you kind of had to sell them on the strategy, not just the solution. And so there was a bit of evangelism in the early days and still is today where people might have not thought this or might have not done this yet. And so you kind of have to teach them. Um, yeah. And that becomes a little bit more of a consultative approach than just a solution sale. Yeah, that's really interesting. And because I, I suppose, you know, when we think about the, the modern marketing and sales engine today, you've got multiple tech stacks that are automating and, and the world of automation, for some reason, it's, it's, it's just, it's what sellers and marketers are trying to continue to find ways to automate more and more. But when you look at a lot of the data engagement with those automation platforms are dropping, like, you know, we saw yeah. in the pandemic, email open rates dropped, um, deliverability mm -hmm. dropped. There's been a, a huge impact, not necessarily in the positive direction as a result of mm -hmm. automation platforms. So how do you go about educating companies to say, hey, as part of your overall strategy, you should really consider a, a, an omni-touch and actually add physical elements to their, to their marketing journey? Yeah, so I think that uh, for the most part, uh, I, I agree with you in that there's like an over-automation and everyone goes to automate things. But one of the, I think the unique thing about direct mail and gifting is that there is a cost component to this more so than maybe email or social or digital touches to where, you know, you can't just throw a billion dollars at this overnight. It's something that, you know, you have to be cost conscious about. So there's a sense of uh, a self-controlling mechanism to where, okay, this bottle of wine I'm going to send you is, you know, $80 and I'm going to have to be thoughtful because I can't just send it to everybody. So that puts a little bit more of a, okay, this is a limited resource. We got to, we got to think before we send. And it kind of polices this channel a little bit more than other channels. Um, so that being said, people have already kind of known that gifting is something that they want to do or direct mail is something they want to do. I think it's also part of human nature in some cases. It's like a, a psychology where I want to thank you or I want to impress you or I want to reward you. And so some of these feelings where Sendoso can come in and, and what we found is that we can make it easier 
then you just do it more often because you already kind of wanted to do this. Um, and, and most salespeople you talk to have done some sort of, you know, sending or giving or gifting or uh, something like that at some point in their lives manually as a salesperson. Uh, but now we make it so much easier that you can incorporate it into kind of your day-to-day process. Uh, I- do you have any examples like, and I know, look, this is not a, a podcast where we're selling Sendoso, although we will put yeah. it in the show notes for our listeners to jump and, and check it out. But um, I'd love to, I'm a big, big sort of uh, believer that, you know, activity needs to have sort of outcomes. And mm-hmm. how do you sort of tr- like track performance of some of the things that sell- sellers are sending out to know that, because just like, like we look at emails, we say, okay, the subject line's resonating because we're getting a good open rate, or we know that the message is getting good click through because we can see people booking. Um, yep. How do we then go, well, fantastic, we've sent this great thank you letter or bottle of wine, or you know, you've got multiple things that you guys can send out. Yeah. How does a seller and a marketing team assess the return on investment for that? Yeah, so I'd say uh, we see that in a couple of different ways. I'd say the first is that when anything's being sent out, that recipient is getting tagged to a campaign on Salesforce or, or potentially being tagged back to Marketo or their, their other systems. And so there's a nice paper trail to say, okay, well, depending on your attribution model, the last thing we sent was this Sendoso gift, and then the person you know, responded and we scheduled a meeting or, you know, maybe it's a weighted average approach and you have, or the W, the yeah, companies have different attribution models. But I think what we've done differently that you maybe couldn't have done before is a lot of this was happening offline or manual and it was never being put into your CRM. So you never really knew if it was working. And at least we have all the data points in your CRM now so that you can, you know, run your reports. You can push that into other BI tools to run even more reports so I think that's first and foremost is now there's kind of a data trail. Um, I think that's really important. I think there's other things that you can do if you want to go past that, like, you know, QR codes or short URLs or, or unique phone numbers on the items you're sending out. Um, some of those ways you can see, oh, how many people scan this QR code or went to this short URL and you can tr- track conversions that way. Uh, but, uh, you know, th- that's a little bit more advanced than some people need to do. That's pretty cool. And, do you mind telling us now, so you started, there was yourself and, 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 a, and a co-founder. Um, mm-hmm. and do you mind sort of giving us some insight into how big Sendoso is now? Yeah, so we're about 450 employees <laughs> and we uh, started in 2017 and really went to market 2018 was our first full year. So um, been quite uh, quite the, the growth story the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that's a rocket ship. And was yeah. there a, like, is there a point of that sort of, you know, that period when you look back, you go, well, this is when we've really got the model right and started to accelerate? You know, I'd probably say after we had like 10 employees, it felt right. It felt yeah. like like we are, we are onto something. There's enough people here where we're starting to get momentum. And yeah. it was like, okay, let's hire our second customer success manager. Let's hire our third account executive. And so once we started to get past, I feel like 10 employees, it just felt right. So like the difference between 100 or 400 to me wasn't like we, we've got all these new and unique roles that, and all these managers and, and other functions that maybe we didn't have before. 
But um, I would say like after we got past 10 people, it really felt like we were on a, you know, a snowball heading down a mountain and we were, nothing was going to stop us. No, that's amazing. What an amazing story. Could also be my kind of optimism and, uh, <laughs> you know, some of my positivity that I, I, I try to lead by kind of being a little bit more overly uh, positive and, and celebrate a lot of, uh, you know, small wins and, and really try to build momentum and, and as part of my leadership strategy. But, uh, you know, I think that also maybe contributed to some of our early success. Man, that's insane. And I'd love to know, because when I really think about this, you know, that's an incredible growth story, right? Um, did you have outside capital to help accelerate that? Um, and, and We did. Yeah. yeah. So we we tried, we um, initially bootstrapped for, like, say, the first kind of nine months. Um, and then we were able to get an advisor to just introduce us to a couple of um, his friends. We were able to put about 350000 in, in in a convertible note, which was very simple. It was like one paperwork form, and it was boom, we got the cash. So it was like too easy not to take it. Um, and then about uh, four or five months after that, we, I was actually at a Dreamforce party, and my past CEO connected me with a VC he knew that was one of his previous VCs. And they were like, yeah, great traction. We love it. Like, what can we invest kind of thing? So that was also a very easy 2 million seed round where, yeah. and again, we overly focused on traction and customer success and um, revenue in the early days. So when we went to raise our seed round, we already had uh, about 600,000 in ARR, um, which, you know, you'll hear companies today that, you know, are going to raise seed rounds with zero ARR. Mm. Um and so we were very focused on traction early on, and it kind of paid off for us when we went to talk to investors. And, and after that, you know, first 2 million seed, we then uh, about a year later did a 14 million Series A, a year later did a 40 million Series B, um, and then we got some, uh, some more funding in the works that I, I can't announce, but uh, stuff's, uh, some good stuff coming soon too. Wow. So that's, that's pretty impressive, right? So you went from seed you've now raised, you know, a significant amount of capital, which is helping fuel the growth. And I mean, from a, a strategy perspective, obviously the focus that you guys took was really thinking about that customer journey and how you can elevate that customer journey to keep them connected. Um, what's changed since your business went from 10 people to 400 people and how are you managing to keep the customer at the center of everything that you do? Yeah, I think we've been able to invest a lot more in customer resources. So we've expanded our kind of our customer account team. We have these send curators that are all they do is come up with ideas for our customers. Um, we've we've split up onboarding. So we've got an awesome onboarding team that helps customers get on our platform faster. And then they have a customer success manager. Um, we've got an account management team that helps our customers find new opportunities within their organization. So um, when we first got started, we were really trying to sell into uh, sales and marketing teams as we, we found that those were the two most obvious use cases. We quickly found that customer success, account management, uh, HR, recruiting, all were interesting use cases for companies and areas where we could help them solve their challenges there too. So we, we've now found that we can really help companies across multiple different departments. Yeah, this is this is awesome. Man, I love stories like this. I mean, this is something that was born from just an idea and you've really turned yeah. it into significant. What um how did you come up? One of the things that I often find when I speak to a lot of, you know, businesses that are starting to form or they've got funding, now they're trying to grow and scale. Um, 
you go to market strategy. How did you actually develop the kind of the structure? Did you look at the the typical assembly line model that most SaaS companies use or you know, how did you go about coming up with the right structure that allowed you to take the product to market? Yeah, so I would say we used, you know, the, the common kind of Salesforce predictable revenue kind of B2B model where you have SDRs that are going outbound against named lists. You have some inbound SDRs that are handling inbound. Mm. Those are passed over to an AE that then closes the deal and passes them to customer success. And you have, you know, a marketing team that's trying to drive inbound leads. So I knew that model really well. I grew up in that model. I spent a decade being a part of that model. So it was very easy for me to understand. Um, and I think, you know, B2B sales in general, that's been kind of the most popular model. Uh, mm. I will say that we, there is emerging kind of the product-led growth or self-service model that's starting to uh, take more popularity where people can just come into the platform, sign up, don't pay anything, get using it, and then kind of sales gets uh, a product qualified lead to then yeah. kind of like I guess Slack did that pretty well, Dropbox, some of these other companies have done that well. Um, but I think that's kind of a, a newer model I'm seeing uh, that uh, is a little bit different than your typical you know SDR to AE to CSM yeah. model. Do you think that product kind of led growth is something that'll become as influential as, you know, the historic model that's allowed companies to get to this point in in in, in sort of from a sales. I market. do actually, yeah, I, I actually think it shifts a bit more of the experience to the buyer who can actually try things out before maybe getting gated by a request demo wall. Yeah. Uh, and so I think for certain software, it actually makes perfect sense to be able to get in there, click around and start using it um, and then hit a paywall uh, mm -hmm. versus perhaps hitting a paywall without even seeing the product. And yeah. so I think you'll, you'll see that certain buyers want that experience. And I think that you'll see, certain salespeople gravitate towards being better at one or the other because I think the, the product-led growth strategy really relies on salespeople to understand product usage and, and really help coach a, a potential prospect into signing up based on you know, usage data, which is different than maybe an SDR and AE who is just selling the, a slide deck or a, a demo that they control. <laughs> um, so I think it's a um, you know you'll you'll see maybe different breeds of, of salespeople emerge from that, and uh, it'll be interesting to see the next ten years um, to see if you know I think the it was almost a gold rush for the SDR function where you could just you know uh, meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting and is is that going to be able to uh, keep in play or are you going to have to adapt and and maybe take a, a hybrid approach, which is part, you know, outbound SDR, part PLG. It'll, it'll be interesting to see the next 10 years in sales. It's interesting, right? Because with all the funding, there's a, it's like there's an endless amount of money right now. Mm -hmm. um, you, know, you keep seeing more and more companies raise money. There's more unicorns being created than ever before, yeah. right? Especially in the tech space. Um, and it's really interesting to see all that, but in, in a world that requires, and that, you know, the, companies that are getting that funding, there's an expectation of growth attached to it, right? There's an expectation yep. of stakeholders and shareholders now at some point they want to return on their investment. Um, and often a lot of these companies are using the traditional model of just, you know, top of funnel SDRs, BDRs, creating net new. They're hiring young people. 
they're not onboarding him correctly um, because they need to get him into the hot seat as quick as they can. <laughs> um, you know, how did how did your business combat that problem by bringing the SDR model into the business to generate top of the funnel and also enable them to be able to have, you know, deeper conversations with the customers and bring them along the, the buying journey? Yeah, so I think we did a couple of things we did there. One of the things we did early on, so we're, we're a San Francisco-based company from the start. That's where we were founded. We actually found success very early on. Like once we had about 40 employees, we actually diversified and opened up an office in Phoenix, Arizona, which is uh, what which was allowing us to pull in SDR talent in, in an area that um, could be more cost-effective for unit economics so that we could overpay them more than they're used to but have a model that still worked out really well in terms of our customer acquisition costs. And so that was um, a smart way for us early on to make SDR successful in our organization without, you know, in a, in a San Francisco environment, you might need to make, you know, a couple hundred thousand just to, you know, pay rent. And yeah. so it makes, it, it kind of skews your predictable revenue models. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the things we did early on that helped us. Um, we also, um, um, really made SDRs feel like they had a long, a diverse journey ahead of them that it was not just SDR to AE. So we have a fair amount of our uh, SDRs move into our partner org, into our account management org, into our uh, SDR or, or CSM org. Um, and so uh, we opened up multiple career paths and really had, uh, educated our SDRs that they can do more than just AE. And I think that created more longevity too, because that, that role at times can get um, uh, kind of, uh, you know, tiring. And so if, if there's a, a, you know, an end of the tunnel where they can see other areas of interest that helped uh, drive more longevity, because ultimately you need to basically be hiring SDRs, keeping them there long enough that, that you can see success with them and then, and then promote them in some way. Um, and so we, we found a good kind of career pathing through the organization. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and just on the, you know, what you mentioned earlier, the, the change to product-led, um, I mean, what are you guys doing as a business to kind of be in front of that that trend and make sure you're accommodating for the changing dynamic of the customer? Yeah, it's a great question. So we've been uh, beta testing uh, kind of our own version of that where, uh, you know, a salesperson can come on the platform, sign up, send some yeah. stuff without even, you know, having their, their boss, you know, buy, uh, you know, get a subscription of the, the mm-hmm. platform. So we've been testing that out and we see that will be a potential opportunity for our go-to-market uh, efforts, you know, in, yeah. you know, in the couple quarters to come. Yeah, because it's interesting. I mean, I've <laughs> my whole career I've been in, in a sales role. Um, obviously move my way up to managing a sales team and being head of marketing, et cetera. But I, I remember early, early days, you know, my sales leader never would pay for any, any gifts or campaigns. It was always coming yeah. out of my pocket. As a salesperson, I'm like, well, it's okay because A, I'm getting commission or yep. deals worth X. Um, are you seeing more sellers kind of bypass their boss and their company to say, Hey, I do see value in creating more human connection with my customers outside of an automated platform that people know now it's automated. Like they're getting so much automation. Mm -hmm. You can actually tell just by, even if it's plain text, you know it's automated because it's got the bloody unsubscribe on the bottom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, people are getting kind of connected to the fact that it's not a real person 
sending this to me direct. Yeah. Um, so are you seeing more sellers now kind of use your platform in a, in a, in a, you know, bypassing their company and, and their managers? Um, we definitely see a lot of requests for that. And that's why we're coming up with a, a package just for sellers where they can sign up on their own and yeah. uh, bypass that. Uh, I think for certain organizations, you know, people feel maybe less empowered and they feel like they have to go talk to their boss. But for, uh, you know, for certain companies, you're like, uh, F it, I'll do whatever I want. Like I need to make my money. I need to hit my quota. I need to get commission. So I'll do yeah. whatever I need. So I think we, we get a mix of that. Um, I also think we're seeing a, a, a greater trend in just the overall sales tech landscape. I mm-hmm. think for the last, you know, five to 10 years, the mark tech and marketing technology landscape, there was just an explosion of tools, um, but marketing always had to pay for the budget on it. Now you're seeing these sales tools pop up and sales now is commanding, hey, I need these tools for me to be successful. And I think that we've seen big companies like the gongs and sales lofts and, you know, outreaches of the world that have uh, garnered, you know, unicorn status and are ultimately built just for salespeople. So, yeah. And it's interesting because that was like LinkedIn back in the, you know, now companies are buying LinkedIn packages, mm-hmm. but historically it was the individual and you try to get your boss to, to give you that 50 totally. bucks back <laughs> a month, right? Um, but it is, it is an interesting paradigm, right? Because I think um, when we look at the data, even before COVID, you know, the, the pandemic hit, the biggest issue facing most companies was they just didn't have enough pipeline. Um, not enough sellers were hitting target. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, my professional opinion or my personal opinion, um, I believe sequences and, and the tech is a great tool, but I believe it hasn't been loaded correctly with the right intent or the right level of skill. Um, people are thinking just, you know, mass automation will fix the problem when it doesn't. It actually makes the problem even worse. Um, totally. So, I mean, how have you guys kind of managed through that 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 world of automation in making sure you're connecting to the buyer in a way that it's meaningful and one-to-one? Yeah. So one of the things we do is, you know, we obviously invest in all the, the automated tech too, but we have investing in people too that will help uh, take a step back and really, so I, we have two people that all they do is uh, really look about copywriting for and really sequence design and, and what are the different things we should think about? Because I think it's almost like just given a, you know, uh, a salesperson like a, a loaded gun and like, okay, go for it. And you don't know what they're going to do with it. But if you give them some training, they can be a little bit smarter about it. Or if you tell them, if you say, hey, let's think about our buying experience. Like what would buyers want over the course of three months and yeah. take a step back there, work with maybe marketing, work with uh, somebody that's dedicated towards, you know, sequence design, you can start to think about, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't just blast five of these emails out in week one. Maybe we should send something more yeah. personal or, um, maybe we should add in a, a non-automated step so that someone actually has to go do some homework. So we're yeah. we're very methodical in terms of how we think about the approach to these. And, um, you know, we don't, you know, compensate our reps on like activities of like, okay, you need to get 100 emails a day to be successful. We really try to focus on the outcomes and having them spend more time building the relationships or, you know, quality over quantity. Yeah, I think that's incredible advice. So I think that's incredible advice for anyone in the revenue structure, you know, from CMO, CSO, right through to sales professionals that I love what you said. There's a non-automated task of actually maybe doing some research because I find mm-hmm. that level of personalization, it is lacking somewhat. Um, 
you know, and they're forgetting the basic principles of what makes a great relationship <laughs> is yeah, an understanding and, I, and a level of empathy between two parties. Exactly. And I think there's this uh, kind of lot, lost art or even a, a potential to be more creative. And I think that goes back to one of the areas that I was trying to do when I started the company or why I was, you know, trying to get more creative with my outreach. I think creativity is one of those things you, you can't really automate. You That's a human to human approach. And so, if you can, you know, be good at being creative and, and you know, think about what's the, the the right message to write or the right gift or the right approach or the right time. And some of these things, you know, can get you meetings, get you deals closed and you can't automate it. You just have to be, you know, human. So that's awesome. And mate, what's the best gift request or the best gift that you know that the business has sent out? Oh man, there's some good ones. Some uh, a couple of my favorites. One, I, I, there's this one where you send a bottle of nice high-end uh, liquor, and then there's a combo lock on the top, and you <laughs> have to uh, take the meeting to give the code to be able to get in. Get in. So that would just drive me nuts if I saw a really nice bottle of booze and I couldn't open it. Um, <laughs> that's a so good that's one. Been, I, I like that one. Um, there's. Uh, some cool, I mean, I'm a big fan of like desk plants. And so there's really cool plants that people have sent like this money tree. Um, yep. We've seen someone send like uh, these, uh, you know, uh, really like um, kind of uh, high end, like Lego kits that like uh, have like these really thoughtful, creative ways that you can like build a Lego kit um, and it's related to the person's product or service. So um, there's really endless things that we see and we've got, um, the cool thing is, too, we've got thousands of these examples that we share with customers or even on our website in our resources section to get inspiration because I think it's not a, you know, it's not a golden gun bullet that you can do the same thing for everybody. you got to be thoughtful and there's, you know, get, getting inspiration can help you find that right thing. No, that's fantastic. I actually love that. I love the idea of the alcohol and you put a lock on it. That, that is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, before we sort of come to the end, we'd love to, if you could just share where our listeners can connect with you, what's the best place for them to connect? We'll also put it in the show notes. Yeah, would, would love to connect on LinkedIn. So uh, find me on LinkedIn. Um, email me if you want to talk more. I love networking with people. So my email is uh, chris, K-R-I-S, at sendoso.com. Um, and I, I'm always happy to, to talk with other entrepreneurs, to talk with salespeople. I I honestly, I love being pitched to new products. So if you got a cool new sales tech tool or new software, like pitch me, I'm always interested right. in what's the latest and greatest. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, mate, I just want to say like, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I think um, for me, this is a very relevant discussion thread that we just got to keep having uh, in the community because you know the lost art of sales, I believe it's happening. It's people mm-hmm. are forgetting the whole premise of, the unique experience, um, setting yourself, differentiating yourself. Um, and, and I believe this is the type of way that sellers can do to elevate that buying journey. So, mate, I want to say thanks for your contribution. Um, we'll put the show notes. We'll put where they can find more about Sendoso. Um, I think what we'll do at Sales IQ, I think we're going to play around with this and we're going to do a couple of campaigns using it because we, we, we love testing new concepts. And yep. we'll share that with our listeners as well, mate. So we just want to say thanks for, for, for everything that you do for us. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be on.